All right, welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season four, episode 19, Appearances. Opening scene. A bunch of grade school kids are getting on a public bus with their teacher. They're going on a field trip to some museum. Mm-hmm. One chubby little cute kid is like, hey, I found a suitcase. And he's like tugging on it. Yeah, he's like, it's pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the teacher's like, don't touch that. Everybody off the bus. And is the, I, I remembered, I'm like, this is right after 9-11. So mm-hmm. anything like that. At first, I thought it was interesting because I wouldn't think twice about a suitcase being left on a city bus. You know what I mean? I'd be like, oh, mm-hmm. somebody forgot their suitcase. Fuck, somebody's day is ruined. But this mm-hmm. was also, yeah, it was. I remember seeing like a backpack on a park bench, you know, mm-hmm. that like, I was like, yeah. I'm not going anywhere near that shit. Yeah. Or like, you can't leave a bag sitting in the airport anymore. Mm-hmm. So everybody evacuates the bus. The bomb squad comes. Not hot bomb squad guy, just bomb the whole bomb squad. Yeah, but a different new hot bomb squad guy shows up. Mm-hmm. Do they have to audition for these roles with a shirtless headshot? Yeah. <laughs> they show up, they take an x-ray of the suitcase, and they find a body inside. By the way, the way the x-rated i didn't know they had handheld like things like that it was like a handheld scanner thing and it was just not even a ball but like it was weird yeah so benson and stabler are on the scene the victim is a little girl coroner warner is also on the scene she's you know it was just it would like i didn't know they had those they might not they might not have those it was probably just like a computer mouse or something could (laughs) yeah with the like ball that you can take out yeah and we're like whoa (laughs) when in actuality we should be like oh my god i forgot the computer mice Mouses were so the computer mice were so big. Computer mice. <laughs> I don't know how, how to say that. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go back to the victims, a little girl. Benson and Stabler are on the scene now. The victim is a little girl. Coroner Warner is also on the scene examining the body still in the suitcase. The bomb squad guy says the bus driver doesn't remember who left the suitcase. The victim has ligature marks suggesting she was tied up somewhere else before being put in the suitcase. The weird thing is, is she has, like, I don't know. Benson grabs the victim's hands and she's like, she has French nails. (laughs) And I remember how popular that was, the French tip. You did that all the time. You had those. Oh, the, the aughts were like the French tip time to shine for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So she has fake nails, a pedicure, her hair dyed blonde. She was probably in pageants. And then Stabler says, is this John Bonet? Like making a joke, but it wasn't. Whatever. Yeah. And Benson's yeah. like, yep, we've got ourselves a dead beauty queen. Bum mm-hmm. bum. Theme song. In the ME office, Coroner Warner, Benson, and Stabler are going over the findings. The rape kit was positive for fluids, so the DNA is being run. Fragments of latex and vomit were also found in the victim's mouth. Aww. Also, some sawgrass was found inside her sweater, but it grows in Florida, pretty much only in the Everglades. Yeah. Stabler thinks that the victim was killed in Florida and then was brought back to New York. Also, I think, what is she, like nine? The mm-hmm. victim had a nose job. So this also supports the whole pageant thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like how uh, Corner Warner commented on the quality of it, too. She's like, she has a damn good nose job. Mm-hmm. Now Benson, Cragen, and Munch are doing a walk and talk through the precinct. So the suitcase is a discontinued model, but when it was available, it was available nationwide. So that's not going to really get them very yeah. far. There were partial fingerprints found, but not enough for a positive ID. Munch says they haven't gotten any results from passing out flyers yet, and there are no reports of missing kids in Florida. <laughs> bullshit that's not true i was like is that is that a typo because that is not a something that we're laughing at but yeah 
I know, but you know what I mean? I was just, no I'm matches. laughing at the writing of it. Not right. Yeah. No match. There, there's, I don't wish there to be children missing in Florida. I'm just right. saying, yeah. yeah, I don't even need to say that that's implied. I, yeah, I thought you were wishing there was a lot of missing kids in Florida. <laughs> And also, there were no matches when he checked with the Little Angel pageant happening in Westchester. There's a few local pageants that have happened in the area recently. Craigan goes, I wonder how many of these Little Miss Angels get nose jobs when they're nine. Olivia, you and Elliot take the nip and tuck brigade. And Benny's like, do you mean plastic surgeon? And Craigan's like, I mean the old two-stepperoo skidoo scalpel club. The slice and dicery. The rhinoplasty patsy. I could not... He's... He... <laughs> go talk to the nip and tuck brigade be clear you're a cop you're like like you're giving instructions <laughs> you're about a who cop so- <laughs> shouldn't they i don't know i get i get that you like to talk in your old-timey cute dad captain speak or whatever so craig and sending benny and staves to talk to plastic surgeons and craig is gonna go with munch to talk to pageant people Craig and Munch go to the Little Miss Angel pageant rehearsal at the Banner Hall in Long Island. The director's instructing all the girls on stage, step, stop, smile, and twirl. This woman looks like she was a former member of the FLDS, but left, but it's all she's ever known, so she doesn't know how else to do her hair. <laughs> yeah. They show her a photo of the victim on the table and traumatize her a little bit. Yeah, like, in, like a, f- yeah. Don't. I mean, what else do you have? Like dead on the slab. I don't know if there's another like, option, but or prep her. At least say like, hey, brace yourself. I'm going to show you something. It's a dead body. We need you to ID. Say something. Don't just be say like, it something. <laughs> like it's like, a Pokemon card, you know, like no. <laughs> it's like there's she's going to be thinking about that all day. Yeah. So this woman, they show her this photo. She's like, ah, she doesn't recognize the Vic, but she's willing to share files of the Little Miss Angels that are right next to her that are (laughs) within arm's reach. (laughs) Cragen gets a phone call. So Munch continues to question this woman. He asks her about security and access to the pageants. And she's like, it is pretty tight. You need to pay twenty five dollars to get in here. And Munch is like, what? Fucking yikes. What? (laughs) Yeah. Craigan comes back from his itty bitty teeny tiny phone call and says that the NASA PD put out a missing persons report one hour prior for Cherie Lathan. Mm-hmm. Benny and Staves are going to go talk to Cherie's parents. And d- at the exact same amazing moment, Munch finds a pageant file for Cherie. And yup, looks like it's her. Yep. She's like in the files of people that have tried out, but like didn't make the cut. Yeah. Now Benson and Stabler are at Cherie's house with Cherie's parents. Dad Mm. is a very subdued Conan O'Brien and Mm. mom is playing Patsy Ramsey. Mm -hmm. Dad tells Mm -hmm. him that Cherie has been doing pageants for four years and he got her a nose job. He's super intense about the pageant stuff. You got to have that competitive edge if you want to win. You know, he was Mm -hmm. this entire time. Mom's checked out. She's in shock with tears in her eyes, just like kind of staring at the floor. And everything she says is just a biting remark at dad. Yeah. Like it's very clear that he wanted to do the pageant stuff and she didn't really want to. Mm hmm. And I thought this was all going to come back to, like, them, like, dad or something or, like, whatever. But it fucking yeah. never see him again. So Stabler wants to know what took mom and dad so long to report Cherie missing. Dad mm-hmm. had taken her to get new headshots before dropping her off at her friend Amy Prescott's for a sleepover and was supposed to go straight to school the next morning. So they assumed that's where she was. What parents mm-hmm. are letting their eight or nine year old sleep over at their friend's house on a school night? I had to, like, trick my dad into letting me stay over at a friend's house. And I was in 
in high school. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, they assume that's where she was. Dad also says that the family went to Disney World in Florida at Christmas time, so that probably explains the grass found in her sweater. He didn't mm-hmm. say the grass in her sweater part, but that's what we were supposed to deduce from him being like, we just went to Disney World. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm still skeptical about like that being the implication because it's March in this universe. So that was over three months ago. Right. TBD. Yeah. Benson makes the cringe emoji face and asks dad for a DNA sample. Standard procedure. And he gets upset. He's like, I worshipped Cherie. I would never hurt her. He's a terrible actor. Also, (laughs) I love that in the notes Alyssa put quotation marks around worshipped. Oh, yeah. She was also suspecting it was like something to do with the dad. Yeah. Because it was a weird weird thing to say. Dad gets upset and says he worshipped. Cherie. That's Alyssa nodding at us like, mm. And Alyssa's like, uh, okay, sure, Jen. <laughs> yeah. I, I almost want to, I want to look back at her, um, because sometimes she'll send us the notes and she'll be like, I have a theory. Yeah. <laughs> and she'll like, uh, and we haven't been... I haven't checked those. I was thinking about that like two days ago too. What did she say? Oh, she just sums up some of her frustrations. I'll read this at the end. After, after we Toyota, I'll let you know okay. Alyssa's gripe. Mm-hmm. So now we're at the Prescott residence. Amy's mom tells Benson and Stabler that Cherie walked to the bus stop alone. Amy had stayed home with the flu. And then you can see Amy and she's really sad and she's sitting there with soup and crackers. She says that there's a creepy guy in 10th grade named Kevin and he would harass and follow Cherie and Amy and tell Cherie she was hot and watch their gymnastics practice. <laughs> Tenth in the grade. Precinct. Ugh. What? Just just creep. Like where's ugh. Yeah. Go home. Go home, well, Kevin. <laughs> fuck you, Kevin. I hate that name for men. <laughs> for grown men, it's fucking weird. Kevin! Okay, now we're at the precinct. Munch and Toots are going over what they know about Kevin with Cragen. Toots is rocking a throwback to 1994 Dwayne the Rock Johnson's famous fanny pack pick wearing his black turtleneck with a gold <laughs> chain on the outside of his no, shirt. No, he's not. Yes, he I was. I missed it. I missed it. Oh, fuck. So this Kevin kid, he's 15. He has a fucking website where he posts stories and one is about, quote, nine year old flesh and how he wanted to take a bite out of Cherie. Oh, like it would it was like it's so firm and ugh. Oh, it's God. like ugh, whatever. This kid is 15. Yeah. Kevin also recently got a sixth grader to pose in a bikini for photos and said it was for an art project. What the fuck is up with this kid? Who hurt him? Yeah. He well, he is an up and coming serial killer. Yeah. So you can see through the glass Kevin and his dad. They're in an interview room and Kevin's dad is like yelling at him. Yeah. I love Kevin's dad, by the way. We've met Kevin's dad twice already in seasons one and three of SVU. Kevin Mm. was in Wet Hot American Summer. He was credited as the caped boy, so it's... Okay. (laughs) He was also in The Sopranos. Yeah. Okay. Toots and Munch go in the interview room with Kevin and Kevin's dad. Kevin does not want to give his DNA sample. He's like, I have rights. You guys are fascists. And he goes, you guys are just like Nazis. Like, it's a thing. It's like, what's the word I'm looking for? Hmm. You guys are just like... And then you say the most extreme thing. (laughs) Because they're just like, I don't know, you're like Nazi-ish, kind of. <laughs> what? His dad like cuts him off and he's like, he's going to give you DNA. Yeah. And he's like, dad, no. <laughs> it's my rights. It's my rights, dad. And they're like, he's like, you fascist Nazi-ish. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then he stands up and his dad grabs him and he yanks him back down. And he's like, sit down, you little prick. <laughs> and then he yanks out a piece of his hair and he's like, is this good for you guys? Yeah. <laughs> 
It's weird how sometimes remember there that was there was that one episode where the guy had paint on his pants and they think he like jacked off on a fucking subway. Remember, mm-hmm. and he like was terrified of needles and didn't want to give blood and they yeah. like had to hold him down. Mm-hmm. But then they just take a piece of this guy's hair. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> This was the scene they needed for this episode. That was the scene they needed mm. for that episode. Yeah. It's like, no, we can only use needles in this episode. <laughs> this is a needle this episode. We're, we're out of the hair scanner. <laughs> the hair scanner's broken. The ball, the the thing came off the bottom of the hair scanner and the ball rolled out and we couldn't find it. And then we're like, does anybody have an avocado? <laughs> that was a mouse joke. Remember we were yeah. earlier? <laughs> <laughs> Tasha, your laugh. <laughs> okay. You know how much John makes fun of my fucking laugh all the time? I can't I find joy in anything because if I <laughs> laugh too hard at something, John will be like, <laughs> <laughs> No, I love when you when I get one when I get one of those laughs out of you, that's my fucking favorite. Also, there's different tones to yeah. it. Like that is I am satisfied with my joke. <laughs> Like that, you did a certain one. Other ones are just like that was really funny. It's different. Oh my god, my laughs are like you can read my laughs the way a mom of a newborn baby can read their cries. (laughs) You're like, (laughs) like she's got to (laughs) poop. She needs to poop. That's a poop laugh. Okay, now we're in the ME office. The DNA from Kevin's hair isn't a match for the DNA from the fluids found in Cherie. Corner Warner tells him that blood traces from the fluids have a very high level of progesterone, which could be used for cancer treatment or gender-confirming hormonal transition. Munch is like, hey, guys, this is given to sex offenders to reduce their sex drive. Mm -hmm. There is also synthetic testosterone in the fluids. Toots and Munch are convinced that a sex offender is trying to reverse his chemical castration. Oof, damn. In Cragen's office, Stabler, Huang, and Cragen are talking deets. Stabler says that New York doesn't chemically castrate sex offenders. Nine states do, and Georgia is the closest one to them. I did a little mm. research on this. To this day, there's still only nine states that do. Mm. I believe that Wisconsin's one of them, question mark. I didn't write that down, but I'm not sure. Mm. Stabes also doesn't think that it makes sense that it would be someone doing it voluntarily. Otherwise, they wouldn't be taking testosterone. Like, right. they were court-ordered, obviously. Huang's like, good job, dum-dum. Testosterone would fuck up the depot shot real quick. Huang says that pageants offer offenders good access to victims. They sexualize little girls, and the ligature marks are intricate and indicate fantasizing about the abuse. Craigan wants a list of those who were castrated, and from that wants a list of those with child abduction priors. So now in the precinct, Munch is trying to hear whatever's going on on the other side of his phone call while Stabler is town crier yelling about the bureaucratic red tape of trying to get a hold of this information. There's no centralized database for chemical castration and no leads. Stabler gets serious with his fingers laced behind his head in front of a corkboard with a U.S. map on it and a few states highlighted. One of them was Wisconsin. Hey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stabler brings up that Corner Warner thought the sawgrass from Florida was from Cherie's trip to Disney with her family, but that grass is exclusive to the Everglades, which is south of Orlando. Mm-hmm. Well, Toots thinks that maybe the perp transferred the grass onto Cherie. There are three chemically castrated suspects in Florida. One died in a car mm-hmm. crash. Why even bring him up? There's two. And the parole officer for the other two. I mean, I don't know. Like, oh, well, I guess. Oh, when right. did he die? When did he die? I guess that's 
the question. No, you're right. There's two. Yeah. I mean, unless maybe he died like this morning. Like, oh my God, he died this morning. We've still got to look into him. I don't know. But also who cares? I'm like, oh, he's a sex offender and he's in Florida and he died in a car crash. Who gives a shit? All of those things I don't care about. So the parole officer for the other two say that they're squeaky clean. And Staves is like, a squeaky clean sex offender. Sure, Jan. Here comes Munch. Rob Kennedy from Milwaukee. Mm Hey, started chemical castration four years ago. He had a supervised Mm -hmm. relocation to Jersey City. So maybe he bopped down to Florida. Staves Mm -hmm. innocently asked, oh, what do you get pinched for? And Munch is like, oh, nothing that relates. He just kidnapped a 10-year-old little girl from a beauty pageant and tried to assault her in his car before she escaped. (laughs) (laughs) He's a possible suspect. It could be him. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Could be anybody. At the Jersey City Library in Jersey City, New Jersey. (laughs) Benson and Stabler find Rob putting books on shelves. This guy, later on, I didn't think this, but right off the bat, I was like, oh my God, this guy looks like a young Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Hall. Oh my God. The crossing guard. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Why is that the one thing that's stuck in my head? The crossing guard? Well, because it actually applies oh, to this. Oh, yeah, I guess it does. <laughs> as soon as Benny and Stabes let him know who they are, he asks if a child had been attacked because why else would the cops be there? Eye roll. What an inconvenience for you. Oh, mm-hmm. was a child attacked? Ugh. Of course you're here. God. I'm just glad you said attacked rather than like, was a child, you know. I mean, you're like, I like that he said that. The very next thing he says makes his face so punchable. Mm -hmm. Benson asks if he had seen Cherie Lathan and he responds with, it's hard to keep track of so many little lovelies. Stabler does not like that. None of us do. This is some of the best physical acting I've ever seen Stabler do. It's because he has experience because he moves past Benson and high school football job slaps that fucking dork's books out of his hand like hard too, hard. like while making eye contact <laughs> so rob's like <sighs> he gives him whatever his alibi is he says i was i was at home watching nickelodeon yuck 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 yeah. but he lives alone so nobody can vouch for him as soon as he says that benson's like oh you need to be coming with us Whoop! i got a phone call she answers the phone in the background and Rob explains to Stabes that it couldn't have been him if there was ejaculate and Stabes doesn't get it. And Rob says that when the urges started to come back, he had them cut off. Stabes still doesn't get it. He's like, who? Yeah. Who? <laughs> so Rob drops trow and shows Stabes that his balls are literally gone. Now Stabler gets it. He goes, okay, put your Johnson back in your pants. He didn't just like pull out his junk he four-year-old at a urinal <laughs> yes. like dropped his pants all the way Belts down around his, his ankles <laughs> in his job <laughs> at his place of work i was trying to figure out what book section he was in but i don't think it would have mattered i don't think yeah so just as old rob flops his wang out in the public library benny gets off the phone and needs to be caught up real <laughs> fucking quick because she's like again but um okay yeah. like she just comes back to what was a conversation to a guy with his dick out her face too it was like oh my God. <laughs> it was like not great so she picks her job off the floor and says the call was from toots it was about one of the offenders tommy hedges in florida his mom lives two towns over from sheree's family ah that's outside of new york city that's two blocks at tommy's mom's house 
this fucking lady. <laughs> Stuart's mom from Mad TV shows toots and yes. munch yeah. around Tommy's room. JK, it's Tommy's mom. She's wearing an insane Christmas sweater and a church lady wig. She says that Tommy hasn't been to visit during parole. There's a big van in the driveway, so Toots wants to look inside of it, but she says she hasn't driven it in over a year and doesn't even know where the keys are. Mom tells Munch and Toots that she thinks that Tommy's changed and his offenses are in the past. He's changed. He's on meds now and found a job in Florida. So they're like, okay, whatever. Cut to outside in front of the house. Munch is suspicious about how clean the van is for having sat for over a year. He's also wearing a scuba suit under his Darkwing Duck costume. I think he's just wearing ear protection. Like, it's it's cold oh. outside. But I'm like, is that fucking scuba suit? Is that, is that neoprene? <laughs> he thinks they should bring mom in for questioning. But Toots' is raccoon hovered over the trash can on the curb and says he doesn't want to bring mom in. Looky here. Toots finds liquid testosterone and a box with a Spanish label. Tommy's mom comes outside and yells, Start! Get out of the trash! <laughs> That's private property! Look what I can do! Look what I can do! You can't just go through that! You'll ruin your tough skins! She didn't want him going through her trash. Toots tells her it's on the street, so it's public. Now, why don't you explain this testosterone prescription from last week with Tommy's name on it? She says, you have to understand, he actually is better. He found a job at an advertising agency in New York Monday through Thursday, and then he flies to Miami to get his injections. He's cured. Stuart. At Manson and Branch ad agency, Benson and Stabler find Tommy at work at his desk. They fucking arrest him for parole violation, and they take his work laptop. Everybody is around, like looking around, like what? Tommy, <laughs> what's going on, Tom? She takes the <laughs> she takes the laptop, like Whoop! the guys in the background are like, "What is that? You you sent a TikTok or something, or you posted a TikTok? It was like every extra in SVU, and it was just somebody being really like whoa, whoa, in the background, like really oh, over the top, like, super." Super trying to not look at the camera. These guys <laughs> were, I, I mean, and I watched this like right after. <laughs> See yeah, those they're, guys? They're like, <laughs> who, who, I don't know. <laughs> carrots and peas, carrots and peas. <laughs> okay, so now we're in the precinct interview room with Tommy Benson and Stabler. This dude, he's like, I can't find work in Florida because of my record. Oh, my God. You don't understand. It's really, really hard for us after we ruin people's lives. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, my God. You guys, you don't get it. So he had to come. So he, he had to. He chose to come to New York. He's been lying to his parole officer. They think he's working from home as a telemarketer. His parole officer, I guess, isn't really fucking around much. But Tommy flies out to Miami each Friday for his meeting with his parole officer and to get his progesterone shot. Stabler asks about the testosterone from the garbage and then Tommy's like, I just want to be fucking normal. I want my body to fucking be normal. Mm. Well, everybody else wants you not to abduct children and ruin their lives. Yeah. But you know, yeah, it's real hard for you. Benson asks him if he knows Cherie and shows him a photo of her. He denies knowing her, of course. Mm -hmm. Benson and Stabler tell him the steps that they can take to prove it was him, that he killed Cherie, and that basically, no matter what, he's getting to get in all kinds of trouble because he's not where he's supposed to be, first of all. So he's, no matter what, he's automatically going back to prison for 10 years. Yeah. Then Stabler touches his shoulder, and he's like, dude, what happened? What happened with Cherie? Tommy starts crying. I hate grown men that go by Tommy and not Tommy. I don't feel sorry for you. It doesn't make me think that you're more vulnerable because you go by fucking Tommy. 
like Billy. I have a bud uh, named Bobby, and he's been really trying to. He, he's campaigning for people to call him Bob now, but he's mm-hmm. he's a junior, so like his dad was Bob, and then so he went by Bobby his whole life, and he's like, I'm I'm a dad. Like he's got all of these professional things in his life, and he's like, I'm working on going by Bob. Like that'd be I'm an I'm yeah. an I'm a man. I'm a man, and I'm like I've only known you as Bobby or Robert or Rob. Yeah, Robert. Well, they call their son Robert because he's a third. Oh, okay. So they're yeah. yeah. I mean, imagine your wife being like, "Oh, Bobby." Ew. That's like weird. <laughs> I mean, not if that's oh Tommy, oh, Tommy, Tommy, oh Tommy, oh my God, Tommy. <laughs> it's so big, Tommy. Ew. You're a grown man, Tommy. Tommy. <laughs> You're an adult man. You have your own apartment. Oh, Tommy. <laughs> You got your own phone plan now. Your insurance is under your name. Oh, oh you're probably taking a couple cooking classes, Tommy. <laughs> oh, Tommy, you should get a dog. <laughs> Tommy. Oh, Tommy, your, your car needs its oil changed. Oh, it's already on your to-do list. <laughs> it's time for a tune-up. You do that, don't you, Tommy? Because you're grown. You can do it yourself. Oh, I'm coming. <laughs> Oh shit! Gross! Oh my god! Get that dog a fenced-in backyard, Tommy. <laughs> okay, that's what the fuck. You have an alert in your phone to make sure to give that dog its heart guard every month. <laughs> <laughs> You're a man. Oh my god! I bet you get your ten thousand steps in every day, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I don't know. Why? Why? Tommy, talk to me about your 401k. <laughs> oh, my God. Your office has a window, Tommy. <laughs> uh, okay. Tommy starts crying. <laughs> wow. I'm not. Yeah. No, I'm not laughing at a grown Tom- man crying. Grown men can cry. I, of course, gonna, I'm laughing at the transition. Right. There was no way to transition from that to anything. <laughs> For sure. When, and, you know. <laughs> to anything. Yeah. Tommy starts crying. He admits to the crime. Mm-hmm. He says he had seen her walking around with his friends and thought she looked like a little princess. Oh, gross. He offered Sharia a ride and he assaulted her in the van. That's the one at his mom's house. Mm-hmm. He said he just wanted to talk to her. That was it whatever after she started crying he gagged her to make her stop because she wouldn't be quiet and then he went outside to get some air and when he came back in she wasn't moving benson asked him if he had hurt any other kids he says no because he thought he could control himself until he read a story and saw pictures on a website Ooh, what story i bet we're gonna find out Cragging mm-hmm. busts in he's like you guys tarubin's got some shit for us in the lab so now we're with fucking tarubin we're going over what they found on tommy's laptop tommy's laptop 40 quote kitty porns, which we now are child sex abuse images, hidden on his computer. Mm-hmm. Then they found a little thing. I found this really interesting. They use S tools, which is like based in stenography, Greek for hidden messages. They really get into it. And mm-hmm. Steve was like, oh, so they just send each other messages with the Stegosaurus stuff? And it's like, why oh, do yeah, we have I to do that. that? I skipped it because I was like, this is pointless. I hate you. Okay. <laughs> the stegosaurus stuff and i was like (laughs) next (laughs) he's like pass (laughs) so they found a little like guide thingy called the story of janet Mm -hmm. 
It's basically a how-to guide on how to stalk, kidnap, and rape girls. In the like digital fucking packet or book or whatever, the girl in the guide was tied up just like Cherie had been. Ugh. Tommy kidnapped Cherie and copied exactly what he saw on the internet. Mm. In the precinct, Cabot and Stabler are walking and talking about the child abuse story to Ruben found. Stabler argues to Cabot that the person who made the guide Tommy used to kill Cherie should also be guilty of murder. Cabot says that the author is guilty of distribution of images of child sexual abuse, but not murder. They bring this to Huang, who's minding his own fucking business at a desk. They walked up and the, the speed at which he switched into I'm in this fucked up conversation mode was incredible. Mm -hmm. Cabot goes, you'd be hard pressed to prove a jury that the producer of the images is culpable. And Stabler goes to Huang, what do you think? And Huang's like immediately with his stats. He right. goes, a Canadian study found that 90% of child sex abusers use child sex abuse imagery as well. Huang then explains how the images Tommy had can influence behavior and actions. Cabot's not buying it, but Huang says that Tommy was already susceptible to being highly influenced by it because he had already mm -hmm. offended before. And he's with Stabes on the whole Cherie might still be alive if Tommy hadn't seen these images thing. And Cabot continues to be frustrated, right? I think she was hoping that Huang would be on her side. Like, yeah, you can't really blame these pictures for this, but instead she just got another person jumping down her throat to make her magically produce shit. I feel like this is hard because technically, I mean, not even technically, Coroner Warner says that Cherie, like, choked on her own vomit. Mm -hmm. What the guy did was fucked up and terrible. I mean, is, isn't that, like, some sort of version of manslaughter mm. rather than murder? Yeah. And then, let alone, they're trying to charge somebody for pictures that they saw on the... It just, that's a lot of, like... Yeah, a lot of leaps, yeah. Cabot agrees with yeah. you. Yeah. And Cabot's like, oh, my God, I can't indict pictures. And Stabler's like, mm -hmm. you can indict producers and distributors. Cabot's getting frustrated. Mm -hmm. OMG, Stabes, they could be anywhere in the world. This is the <sighs> internet, man. Uh-huh, yeah. So Stabler then gives her information that he should have led with, okay? The crime lab found the website Tommy got the guide from with the Aaron registry, which is the American registry for internet numbers. They found mm -hmm. the address. Cyberloves Incorporated in fucking Queens. They could be anywhere in the fucking world, but they're in Queens. Uh, sure, Jeremy. Two blocks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh my like, god, they're they're right down the street. <sighs> there they are. <laughs> Cabot's like... <sighs> you hear my laugh? That was so weird. <laughs> Cabot's like, yeah, bust them. Do it. Now we're at Cyberlove Incorporated in Queens, New York, two blocks away from the fucking precinct. Detectives bust in and raid the headquarters of Cyberloves and walk in on a scene being filmed that looks super uh, pedophilic. Yeah. So there's this like woman in the scene. She's 19, she says. She's holding a teddy bear and she has pigtails and they're like in a kid's room. Uh, yeah. They ask for proof of her age and she gives them their entire birth certificate. <laughs> she like carries it around because she's sick of cops busting her when she's quote modeling yeah they show her a photo of the girl in the stalking guide remember what was it called again story of janet, janet yeah this woman doesn't know who the girl is in the photo they ask who fucking signs her paychecks and she's like stanley billings with xl entertainment now we're in stanley's office <gasps> he plays robin williams dad in the movie jack <gasps> Remember, Robin oh Williams God. is a 10-year-old who looks 40 because of a pituitary gland disorder, and I cry every time I watch it. It's so sad. He graduates <sighs> high school, and he's like, he's like 98. Young. 
God, why did he have to go to high school? I loved that movie. And I loved him in this. I couldn't hate him. I couldn't hate him in this episode because I'm like, oh my God, you're Jack's dad. He was such a good dad. I forgot he was in it, so I did hate him. Oh, okay. Now we're in Stanley's office. He admits to selling the story of Janet, the how-to guide on the website, Mm -hmm. but insists that the girl in the story is 18. They make her look younger with, quote, youth enhancement software. Does he just mean filters? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. That must be, yeah. It sounded super high-tech back then, and it's like, yeah, she's on fucking Instagram. I like how I'm, I'm making fun of his knowledge of technology when I literally grew up fucking being able to rewind something with a pencil. <laughs> right. Yeah. This dude fucking Stanley says that the porn he makes is actually therapeutic. It helps give pedophiles a cathartic release and protects kids in the meantime. And I was mm-hmm. like, blink, blink, blink. Retina's detaching. Stabler is looking pissed. Benson calls the story a fucking murder manual. And then it's responsible for Cherie's death. Yeah. But fucking Stanley knows his rights. He knows he hasn't broken the law. He's like, it's freedom of fucking speech. Mm-hmm. Scoot, scoot, scoot. It's just a story. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Yep. Scoot, scoot, scoot. I know. All the way to court. (laughs) Now we're in the lab with Tarubin. Benson and Stabler go over the images in the story of Janet. Tarubin thinks it's possible that the girl in the story was aged down with software, like Stanley said. Tarubin then shows them a photo of Benson and ages her down, and it's super weird. And I'm wondering if it's actually like an actual picture of her. It's just an old photo of Mariska. Yeah. 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 But they were like, whoa. She was like, oh, my God. In the precinct, Cragen is outraged. Are you telling me these bastards can make virtual child abuse sex material and not be breaking the law? And Cabot's like, yeah, it's nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Yup. Benny and Stabes go on and on. Like, if they just get mad enough about it, it'll change the laws. Mm -hmm. And like, she's tried to tell Stabes before. Cabot says, it's a bitch to try and prosecute this shit. Okay? This is a circle. We walk in a circle and it always ends up back at the same place. Fucking trying to make Cabot perform a magic trick. Yeah. Like, our technology... And the laws weren't matching up yet. You know what I mean? Our technology advanced so much faster than our laws are able to mm-hmm. be processed. To apply. Yeah. To find out that that's bad. Yeah. You know? like People so. that are going to do bad things with it are, like, going to figure it out before the law figures out that they might do it. It's actually hard to explain. Yeah. It, it probably isn't. We're stupid. Um, st- <laughs> I'm like, law on the internet, and then you can't get... In trouble, but then they can later. And I'm like, yeah, but they should. And you're like, yeah. (laughs) Do you believe in life? (laughs) Stanley, we use freedom of speech to protect himself. Cabot Mm -hmm. is so patient. So she's trying to explain this to them, but then she's like, and she gets a light bulb. If they can prove that Cyberlove's guide helped Tommy follow through on his crime, then they can argue that it was facilitation. But she says, dot, 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 she says, I'll have to make a deal with the devil. AKA Tommy. Cabot meets with Tommy and his lawyer in a Rikers Island interview room. Sweet, sweet Mr. Marishka Hargitay, Trevor Langan is his lawyer, mm-hmm. all right? Cabot wants Tommy to give up Stanley Billings, and she says that she'll take the death penalty off the table. And lawyer Trevor says no, because Tommy's not going to talk unless he knows there's a, quote, light at the end of the tunnel, meaning mm-hmm. he's not going to have life in prison. Cabot mm-hmm. agrees to murder in the second degree, depending on what Tommy has to offer up, and he could end up with 25 years in prison. 
Cabot's like, okay, cool. Murder in the second degree, but it depends on what you've got to give me, okay? And I'll give you 25 years in prison. And he's like, deal. So then they go on with this interview. Tommy tells her that at first the emails he got from Excel were ads for websites with sample stories. Then he got emailed a sample of the story of Janet. So he signed up for the website. He ordered testosterone after reading the whole story because he wanted his body to feel the way it used to. Benny and Stave's fucking bust into Stanley's office, cocky ass arrest him for facilitating the murder of Cherie. He is mm-hmm. flabbergasted and he's like, you have got to be kidding me. What an inconvenience to me this is. <laughs> what an inconvenience to me this be. <laughs> In the precinct, Cabot and Stabler are going over the fucking case. Cabot's convinced that she's going to lose this case. The facilitation charge is a total reach, and I fucking agree. Mm-hmm. Although it's fucking gross, I'm just saying. All of a sudden, this fucking guy walks in, and he's like, Cabot! And she's like, oh, Barry? It's her old professor. He's fucking representing Stanley Billings. He's going to argue for the First Amendment supporting Stanley. Mm. Cabot and Barry kind of go toe-to-toe, like, arguing free speech and what's covered in the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. But they're both smiling. It looks like they're kind of having fun. And Stabler keeps jumping in all pissed, you know? Yeah, my favorite about this is that these two law scholars having the most educated debate and Stabler jumping in mm-hmm. to not help at all. Just to be pissy, yeah. Barry's like, all my client published was a work of pornography protected by the Supreme Court itself. And so it was like, yeah, well, Billings is a sleaze bag who turns women into little <laughs> girls. He's gross. <laughs> yeah. And they both kind of look over and they're like, yeah, we know. Yep. You know. That, that's what we're talking about. We're doing the smart yeah. people version. And he's like, I'm mad about it, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know. Uh, why are we standing by his desk? <laughs> but yeah, they're kind of talking about society evolving with technology and law and stuff. Like we were just talking Stabler about. Stabler doesn't join into the conversation, but like he just keeps interrupting their train of thought by being like, <laughs> shaking his head. Yeah. He just gets up. He's like, I don't like child molesters. We're like, yeah. Don't like it. Barry. Yeah, we know. And he's points at him for a long time he kicks out an invisible chair but the guy's standing and he's like what is he doing? why is he just kicking behind me <laughs> he slaps the imaginary books out of his hand <laughs> uh, <laughs> harumph i mean but like yeah i agree with stabler like i wouldn't be able to like intellectually debating something that that hurts someone that they're like well the pros of this and his rights and whatever when you just want to like fucking strangle somebody who killed a child it's like i i do get that i'm not it's just fun to make fun of stabler in the trial corner warner takes the stand to go over her findings with sheree and how she died so she confirms that the way Cherie was tied up and killed are identical to what was in the story of Janet. Now Barry gets up and asks Corner Warner contradictory questions. He's like, oh, so, you know, did a website kill her? Ugh. Did a book kill her? Nah. You know what I mean? And she's like, um, no, obviously they don't have legs or hands or anything, and you know? The fact that, yeah, or autonomy or thought or fucking, what are we talking yeah. about? It, nothing grinds my gears more in a, in a courtroom more than somebody asking dummy softball kid questions to prove a point when it's like, you're yeah. smarter than this and you can be like, if I was on a jury and a lawyer did this and I was going to take it personally, I would be like, you're acting like I'm stupid. <laughs> Right. And it would influence how I voted. Right. So he points out that Cherie died from choking on her own vomit. That's what killed her. Corner Warner is not like too pumped, but whatever. Tom, not whatever, just 
she, this is we're in court yeah she can't be like you prick you know right now tommy's on the stand cabot is interviewing him he admits to raping sheree he tells the court that he received child sex abuse ads from Cyberlove mm-hmm. after he got out of jail he admits to copying the story of janet when he killed sheree now barry is talking to tommy and he is asking him these questions that are kind of making it look like tommy's trying to blame someone else for what he did mm-hmm. barry asked tommy did you enjoy kidnapping sheree and tommy admits that he liked it he liked what he did when he kidnapped sheree even though he knew it was wrong and says that it's his fault he like knows what it was wrong mm-hmm. which i don't give a shit if you know what's wrong <sighs> then don't do it whatever you know yeah what? then don't do yeah. it yeah stanley takes the stand like i want to have a million extra dollars i can get it by being really dishonest and fucking doing illegal shit mm-hmm. but i'm not gonna do it you know what i mean I what are what's the illegal shit and what are the steps that you would take <laughs> to get it <laughs> stanley takes the stand he's being interviewed by cabot he fucking calls pedophiles quote people with youth preferences uh, uh. i was like wow he said he made cyber love to have quote legal content for them this guy is a fucking whatever he's a Anyways. sleaze bag he's a fucking sleaze <laughs> yeah so barry and everybody's all fucking pissed and getting riled up because this is insane mm-hmm. barry wants them to go to the bench and talk to the judge barry says to the judge cabot is far from proving anything and the only reason if stanley gets convicted is because the jury is emotional because he created content that pedophiles can Mm -hmm. like you know they don't actually have any proof yeah he's a pedophilia facilitator yeah judge agrees and she says that they're going to dismiss the case on prejudice unless cabot can prove the defense stanley had prior knowledge that tommy was likely to commit the crime by the next day so she's got to figure some shit out at mulligan's cabot's having a drink at the bar and going over notes when craig and pops over her shoulder tough day nothing a half beer can't fix why am i here i'm in recovery i like their onion rings bartender <laughs> ginger ale with red vine straws please coming right up cabot. <laughs> They do the whole, like, he's in recovery thing. Like, he, like, hesitates before he orders a ginger beer. Yeah. And he's like, a wise man said, I can resist anything but temptation. Yeah. And you're like, Did it, was it really hard for you to get a ginger ale at a bar? Like, <laughs> you shouldn't be in here then. been drinking. Yeah. So he sits down with Cabot. She says that she doesn't think the company emailed sex offenders by accident. And that's what I was thinking earlier, too, because I was like, these are targeted ads because like the kind of content that would trigger. They're not just flushing the world with fucking Stuart's mom isn't getting child sex abuse imitation imagery that's legal by like fucking loopholes and shit. Mm-hmm. After Craigan gets his ginger ale, he's like, as a wise man says, I can resist everything except temptation. And Cabot does that Paul Rudd and wet hot double take at Craigan and is like, <laughs> and Craigan's like, what did I say? She's like, Tommy says he tried to resist. <gasps> she wants to find out how much temptation the emails to Tommy provided. Mm-hmm. at Rikers Cabot's going over the details of the emails with Tommy and Tommy's like yeah I got like 50 or 60 emails from the company but I only opened one he kept selecting the opt out button so he could get taken off the mailing list but it didn't work he just kept getting the emails Cabot mm-hmm. you clever gal <laughs> so now Cabot's meeting with Stanley and fucking Barry Cabot wants to know why Tommy's 21 requests to be removed from the mailing list were ignored. Stanley says that he's got too many employees to look into the matter. Like, I 
I don't know. Somebody mm. was getting them. I don't, this has nothing to do with me. Barry still can't help but be Cabot's professor. And he's so proud mm -hmm. of her for that. And he's like, mm -hmm. good try, Alex. He puts a star sticker on her forehead and writes mm -hmm. off the onslaught of emails as a computerized oversight and says. Yeah, not a smoking gun. Yeah. He's like, not aggressive advertising is it against the law. Mm -hmm. This doesn't prove anything. And Cabot goes, fine. We'll just have to see what the jury has to say and backs out the door mm -hmm. so she doesn't have to break eye contact. <laughs> Pterodactyl scream. <laughs> She's going to fucking get him. <laughs> okay, so Barry's talking to the jury. He's like completely defending the free speech and Stanley and how it's okay for him to make this content and that Cabot super can't prove that Stanley knew that Tommy tried to unsubscribe from the emails, mm -hmm. that it was like down the chain of his fucking employees he is responsible yes you know what i mean like yes. he's in charge of the company whatever right. well especially when you're dealing with such a, you're playing fast and loose with some really fucking touchy content mm -hmm. so even if that is your excuse like pleading ignorant come the fuck on dude yeah like if you have if you're a leader of a team and your team loses you get blamed for that if you're a leader of the team and the team is making pornography to look like child abuse you should uh -huh. be on top of that yeah and under six feet of ground <laughs> Barry says that Stanley only produced that one story, the story of Janet, mm -hmm. and it's totally legal. And Stanley didn't fucking know Tommy. He didn't know what he was going to do or what he had done in the past and what he would do if he saw the story of Janet emails. Now Cab is talking to the jury. She's like, yeah, dude, Tommy's totally fucking guilty, but Stanley is also guilty. She's saying that Stanley made this and it was a dangerous tool in Tommy's hands. Yes. And the ignoring the 21 requests to stop sending the emails is bullshit. Yeah, like she said, Stanley is responsible as the owner of the company. I just, this is just hard for me because it's like, I know that it wasn't a good thing to read. Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's just... Yeah, I mean, I don't think that it is Stanley's fault that Tommy did this, and I think we're kind of focusing on the wrong part of the story here, but mm -hmm. I yeah. also do think it was super irresponsible and he's being fucking legally held responsible for it. You know? Yeah, I suppose he was being predatory with the email stuff. Oh, I mean, and in general, and what he's creating. And mm -hmm. So the fucking jury goes to deliberate. They find Stanley guilty of facilitation, and his fucking face, he did that double take in the jury. Yeah. He was like, he could not believe he was completely shocked. The camera cuts to Cabot whispering to herself holy shit it actually worked she yeah. was surprised as well yeah so fucking stanley's getting hauled away and he's like i didn't do anything i don't understand and barry's like it's okay I mean, it's not okay for him, but... Right. So outside of the courtroom, Barry approaches Cabot to congratulate her. And he says, no, this is great. Like, I'll get the conviction turned over in an appeal. And he's like, you did a really good job not stomping on the Constitution. And then she's like, well, the Constitution could actually use some fucking stomping right now. Yeah, she said mm -hmm. that. And he's like, in this case, everybody won. And she's like, not Cherie Lathan. Bro. The, the victim, remember? Yeah. Toyota. Toyota. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay, back to Alyssa. When Alyssa sends us the notes, sometimes she has a commentary about the episode and she goes, this is my gripe. Why was Tommy's mom never brought back to get yelled at by Benson for having Tommy at the house and letting him use the van? But we had to suffer through the creepiness of a castrated sex offender dropping trow in a public library. But I'm not Dick Wolf, so shrug. I mean, I mean, yeah, she fucking harbored a crimp. She, yeah. I agree with you, Alyssa. <laughs> This is my gripe. We had to suffer through the... <laughs> <laughs> 
in a public library? There's so many uh, exclamation points and question marks. I love that. Keep sending that shit, Alyssa. When I love getting your notes and then seeing how angry you are. <laughs> uh, Toyota. Toyota. Okay, let's do this chaser. How long is it, you think, the chaser? The chaser? It's a hot minute. Why? Like an hour? No. Oh, okay. I was just wondering. It could be a year, dude. Fucking John Benet Ramsey. There is so much to this shit. We would be hard pressed to find someone who doesn't know many, many details of this 25 year old case. Okay. I am that person. I mean, well, you knew about the pineapple thing. That's all that I remember. I just know oh. that there was pineapples. I don't know. I think she choked on it or something. Mm, no. Or, yeah. Wait, her brother was pissed because she took a pineapple? That's one of the theories. Okay. That's one of the theories. But yeah, I didn't have to do a ton of research. I did I did a bunch, but there was so much stuff that I was just able to like put out a skeleton from memory because it is one of those cases that I have like seen and heard and whatever so many times. I, I don't even feel like I'm like obsessed with this case, but I just have heard and seen so much about it. The story has an overwhelming amount of information and a very recent update that I'll get to at the end. But I was trying to think of a way to break it up so that I could give all of the angles justice without turning this into an entirely separate podcast. Yeah. So I'm breaking it up into three main storylines that police and the public have debated on for years. The parents, the intruder, and the brother. But let's start with the crime. In 1996, JonBenet Ramsey was six years old. She was a little pageant queen living with her parents, John and Patsy, and her big brother, nine-year-old Burke in Boulder, Colorado. John had three older children from a previous marriage as well, John Jr., Elizabeth, and Melinda. They were much older and living away from home by then. Mom Patsy woke up on December 26, 1996, at about 5.30 a.m. to find a ransom note at the bottom of the staircase claiming that Jean Benet had been kidnapped. The day after Christmas? Yes. What? The note said, quote, Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed. And if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be in $100 bills and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate size attache to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence an earlier pickup of your daughter. Okay. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common sense of yours. It's up to you now, John. Victory! SBTC. 
So, okay, so what did the, what did John do for a living? He had just sold a business, so it was like publicly known that they were worth millions of dollars. So, upon reading this letter, Patsy freaks out and calls nine one one. The police arrive and do a cursory search of the house, but found nothing. After some time, a detective asked John Ramsey to go through the house to see if anything was out of place or missing. This was hours later. So it was about 1.30 p.m. when John found Jean Benet's body in the basement wine cellar. A rope was tied around her neck and extended to also include being tied around her right wrist. She had an eight-inch fracture on her skull, two stun gun marks, one on her face and one on her back. There were also wooden fibers found inside of her indicating that she had been sexually assaulted stun guns yeah so when he found her he picked her up and ran up the stairs screaming the issues in this investigation began immediately not one detective who was initially on this case had any homicide experience there was almost none in the entire boulder police department Hmm. very shortly into it denver pd was like dude we have lots of experience with homicides let us help you they had homicide experts they had all of these resources that they were offering up to boulder pd but the boulder pd wanted to tie their own damn shoes and wouldn't accept any help So this lack of experience and unwillingness to include experts was the catalyst for all of the mistakes moving forward. No matter what you believe, there is one consistent absolute truth in this case. The police fucked everything up super hard. Yeah. So there's something called forensic sterility, meaning that detectives have measures to preserve the crime scene meticulously when arriving. Mm hmm. They didn't do that in this case. When police first arrived, the Ramseys had friends there. Their pastor was there. So adding people in is a definite nope. Uh And police didn't have these people leave. They just came in and were like, oh, okay, anyway, we're going to start policing now. Just the fact that a detective asked John, who was a possible suspect right off the bat. I mean, it's apparent. That's suspect number one. Right. The detective asked him to do another pass through the house was such a crucial mistake. Not only for the fact that he could have hidden something if he was at fault or if he was guilty of something or whatever. When he did find his daughter, he picked her up and ran up the stairs screaming, which I also guarantee I would have done as a parent. Mm -hmm. That fucked up evidence. Right. You know, a cop with... Do they have stun guns in the house? I'll get there. Oh, okay. Sorry. Also, the cops doing the initial questioning of the family were literally a narcotics officer and an officer who specialized in auto theft. What? What a fucking joke. Yeah. Holy shit. It only took a few days before the media got a hold of the story. And four days in, pageant photos of Jean Benet were sold by photographers that took them to the press. And... It went fucking 90s viral, huge, Mm -hmm. crazy. As always, this level of media attention, worldwide media attention, throws a wrench into any investigation. It goes nuts. There's more to the media of it all um, in a minute. But let's get into the three camps of the Jean Benet murder, okay? Start with the parents. So many people, including most of the detectives on the team for the Ramsey's case, believe the parents either committed this murder or were involved in some way. Why? Mm -hmm. Statistically, when a child is killed, it's usually done by someone in their major family okay Mm -hmm. also the ransom note was super weird there's inconsistencies and odd language used in the note that note has been analyzed ad nauseum over the years one of my sources is from statementanalysis.com it's in the show notes on svupod.com it is interesting i picked out a few things from this list that police found that they felt indicated deception in this note the length of the note this note was a two and a half page long note with unnecessary statements which they found very odd and inconsistent with quote-unquote real ransom 
ransom notes. Mm-hmm. Also, the specific amount of money and it being such a small amount for what the Ramses could afford. They were worth about $6 million at the time. The specific amount was interesting because John had just received a work bonus, a Christmas bonus for exactly $118,000. The verbiage in the note, the use of and hence had been picked apart in subsequent years. Just very formal. The varied pronouns, the note starts out with being from a group of individuals and eventually switches to singular first person pronouns, my and I, and then switches back to us, which normally a person writing wouldn't vary their pronouns. We would also find out that the letter was written on paper from inside the Ramsey home with a pen also from inside the house. Why the fuck would a kidnapper sit and write a nearly three page letter inside a home that they broke into? Mm -hmm. So if this points at the parents, why is it disputed? The Ramseys gave multiple handwriting samples and had each rewritten that note word for word, traumatizing, with their Mm -hmm. left and right hands six or seven times. And it was determined by handwriting experts that neither matched. Also, the finding of the body. Now, John Ramsey has been given a lot of shit for being the one to find John Bonet in the wine cellar eight hours later at 1.30 in the afternoon. People were like, oh, he was told to go look and he found her immediately. Okay, sure. Okay. Here's why I argue that. The Ramseys lived in an 11,000 square foot home. That's a fucking Mm -hmm. mansion. And when Mm -hmm. I heard this on the news, because this was all you heard about in 1997 was the John Bonet Ramsey case for years. I remember thinking that he opened the door to the basement and boom, there she was. And I couldn't wrap my mind around the size of the home. So now mm-hmm. my perspective is a little bit different though, because first of all, police doing a cursory search of your house, how half-assed was that search? Mm-hmm. Also like that's, that is a really big house because you went in there thinking that she wasn't in the house, you know, and that's on you cops. Mm -hmm. He was also told to look around the house for anything that may be amiss by an officer. So it's not like he was like, oh, I look at this. I found her, you know, that savior thing that people sometimes do when they commit a crime and then they want to be the one to, you know, I remember that being kind of nodded at when it just doesn't, it just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Another thing that pointed at the Ramseys was that they immediately hired an incredible defense attorney. Like, why are you hiring a defense attorney right off the fucking bat? We find out later, John Ramsey had received a call from an employee who said that they knew someone at the police department. The person at the police department told this employee to tell John to get the best defense attorney he could. He said, quote, the police department believes you or Patsy or both killed John Benet and they're coming for you. Shit. So he was like, fuck, well, this is the kind of attorney we need to get if this is the sort of questions that are going to be coming at us. There's also a ton of evidence that police were, in fact, gunning for John and Patsy from day one. The department kept leaking speculations to the press that pointed at the couple, thinking it would eventually make one of them crack and cop a deal to throw the other one under the bus. Mm-hmm. Neither of them ever did. For example, they released to the press that Patsy refused to give her DNA. Not true. She gave it immediately. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is a huge... I don't know if they understood the scope of what they were doing, this small police department, but people to this day believe that John and or Patsy killed John Bonet mm-hmm. or had some hand in doing it. Mm-hmm. So when this investigation kicked off, John and Patsy turned over hair samples, DNA, bank records, phone records, absolutely everything the police asked for. Multiple handwriting samples, like I had said. The police narrative really focused on the parents regardless of the evidence. 
Okay, mm. let's move on to the brother, Burke Ramsey. He was nine years old. The big finger pointing at him is the pineapple. There was a bowl of pineapple with Burke's fingerprints on it found in the kitchen. Jean Benet's autopsy revealed that she had eaten pineapple not long before she died. The theory is Burke shared some pineapple with Jean Benet, maybe as their parents slept, and some sort of fight happened, resulting in Burke severely hurting his sister, like hitting her in the head with a flashlight. John and Patsy find out, or he tells them, like, oh my God, I hurt Jean Benet. They finish the job and stage an elaborate cover-up to protect their son. I don't know. I know. Former Boulder Police Chief Mark Becker, who was in charge of the investigation, believes this is what happened. Either this happened or something else to do with John and Patsy. So they just sexually assault her for no reason? To make it look like something else. Yeah. He said, quote, we know from the evidence she was hit in the head very hard with an unknown object, possibly a flashlight or similar type item. The blow knocked her into deep unconsciousness, which could have led someone to believe she was dead. The strangulation came 45 minutes to two hours after the head strike based on the swelling in the brain. While the head wound would have eventually killed her, the strangulation actually did kill her. The rest of the scene we believe was staged, including the vaginal trauma to make it look like a kidnapping, assault gone bad. I have avoided saying who I believe is responsible and let the facts speak for themselves. There are several viable theories, end quote. But also that can be disputed because there are other experts that say that the blow to the head came after other attacks happened. There were other things done to her prior to the blow to the head. So that completely throws this out in the wash. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's pretty obvious what way they're leaning. Him giving this statement, it's pretty obvious what he thinks. Also, Burke's body language has been looked at under a fucking microscope. In his initial police interview, he's fidgety and nervous. He's He's nine. nine. (laughs) His sister was murdered in his house and a weird guy's asking him a million questions, okay? Like, do you guys like to have snacks? What kind of snacks did you like to have? What was her favorite snack and he's like i don't know oreos uh, cookies and i don't know i mean he questioned him until he got him to say pineapple and mm-hmm. many years after jean benet's murder he did an exclusive i think it was like 20 year anniversary thing he did an exclusive with dr phil that was picked apart as well people said that he smiled too much fidgeted too much was socially awkward but the flip side of that was of course he's awkward and fidgety he's an isolated software engineer who grew up swarmed by media after the brutal unsolved murder of his little sister mm-hmm and has been accused of being the one to do it. So there was this CBS docuseries that really took this Burke theory on. It was called The Case of JonBenet Ramsey, and it was painted as a re-examination of the facts, but leaned heavily into this Burke theory, okay? It's argued that it wasn't actually journalism because it was only one side that was looked at, which was this Burke thing, right? Yeah. Burke sued CBS for $750,000 for this because it very much, I mean, I watched that and was like, holy shit, fucking Burke did it. Mm-hmm. But once you once you look three inches into it, you're like, oh, wait, this is a very skewed perception of the facts. Right. It was yeah. it was really a lot of speculation, giving one very skewed perspective. And to this day, Burke is advocating for the discovery of his sister's killer. OK, this this is where I'm resting. OK, if anybody gave a shit where I believe things are is with this. The intruder. The mm-hmm. intruder is the third and final big suspect in this case. I'm just going to go down the bullet points of why it points at an intruder. Wasn't there a broken window? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, you're, you're, okay. All of that comes out with this. Mm-hmm. Okay, first thing, one, the tape that was on her mouth and the rope that was used to strangle her were not found to be consistent with anything in the Ramsey home. 
Mm-hmm. Two, the Ramseys had had a ton of construction done in recent years, so a lot of people in and out of their house. Three, mm-hmm. their home was part of the historic Boulder Holiday Home Tour in December of 1994. 2,000 people toured their house at this time. Mm. Four, there was a broken window in the basement and a scuff mark on the wall under the window, like someone had either climbed in or attempted to climb out through that window. There were also a few windows throughout the house that were slightly ajar to let Christmas light cords out from being plugged Mm -hmm. from inside the house. They had a security system that they didn't use because when it went off, it was really, really loud whenever it was tripped. So they had no security system. It was the kind of neighborhood where they're like, we left our doors unlocked all the time. I mean, if if you see crime scene photos, the window isn't like a because it's a basement window and so what i would picture is like an egress window that's like block glass you know what i'm talking about but it was like a standard window it was like a like a multi-paned window i mean not difficult very accessible from the outside there was also a partially open suitcase with a comforter a dr seuss book and fibers from what john benet was wearing inside the suitcase underneath the window there's also a piece of glass from the window on top of the suitcase that could mean that somebody was trying to climb out of that window after deciding to leave john benet there seventh thing that points at an intruder the stun gun marks on her there was no evidence that the ramses had ever owned a stun gun mm-hmm. there was a footprint found in the room that john benet was found and it didn't match anyone in the house or as a part of the investigation. There was beaver hair found on her when there was none found in the house. Beaver hair? I know. I don't, I don't know. Maybe somebody's coat, maybe a hat or something. Mm. Also, I mean, just lead with this because all this other stuff could equal whatever. But there was unidentified male DNA found under Jean Benet's nails and in her underwear. A pair of long underwear not belonging to anyone in the house were also found. Okay. Yeah. Hello. I know. They should run that DNA now, dude. Oh, should they? Listen to this. (laughs) Three months into getting nowhere in this case, Boulder PD brought in retired detective Lou Smith from Colorado Springs. In his career, he had solved 200 homicides, many of them cold cases, and they were confident that he would be the key they needed to crack the case. Upon his arrival, he realized that they were gunning for the Ramses, but from where he sat, it was a kidnapping gone wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, right off the bat, he's like, yeah, this looks like an intruder. And then he looked over all the information. He's like, yeah, this is definitely an intruder. And they're like, <laughs> you are not helping us. Mm-hmm. So he left the task force after 12 months because no matter what he did, nobody would get on board with him. Hmm. In the book, Jean Benet, Inside the Ramsey Murder Investigation, former lead detective Steve Thomas wrote this, quote, Lou Smith totally disagreed with my version of the events that night, insisting that the Ramseys were innocent. In his intruder theory, the killer had seen Jean Benet during one of her public appearances, perhaps the Christmas parade, and decided to go after her on Christmas night while the Ramsey family was out for the evening. The pedophile hmm. intruder came in through the window well grate and basement window then spent quite some time roaming around the big house and learning the layout. He found a home tour brochure and learned more about the family. It was also during that period, while he was alone, that he came across the Sharpie pen and the cup and Patsy's writing tablet and wrote the ransom note. Then mm. he hid and waited. End quote. Lou Smith continued to work the case on his own until his death in 2010. But just before he died, he gave his list of suspects and recordings of his research to his daughter, Cindy Mara. She mm. has since taken over and has been collecting DNA from everyone she can on that list of suspects. Mm. I could literally go on and on about this shit. So much of what we as a whole believe to be true is wildly exaggerated or completely made up. I mean, I found out through this that so much of it was made up. Mm. I mean, and don't come for me with the, well, what about 
the undisturbed fucking cobwebs outside the window and the whatever. Like none of that is proven because there wasn't good police work done in the initial investigation. So Mm -hmm. all that stuff was said. But again, like there's so much proof pointing at the Boulder PD gunning for the Ramseys that I don't even know if that's true. Mm -hmm. As we know, the case went cold and has been subject to rumor ever since. In 1999, Burke was officially exonerated. In 2006, Patsy died of ovarian cancer. In 2007, the long underwear that were found were finally tested, and the DNA matched the unidentified DNA that had been found on Jean Benet. Okay. With that glaring evidence, in 2008, Boulder DA Mary Lacey formally and publicly exonerated the Ramses. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm trying to convince you to agree with me, even though like I feel like you are agreeing with me already right now. But um, as I was like researching and I'm like, Gabe better not think that it was the fucking Ramses. Tick, 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 click, click, click. I got to find something that's really going to sell Gabe. So here it is. Fucking mind hunter himself. John Douglas mm-hmm. Holden Ford, right from mm-hmm. the show, has studied the case and has his own theory. Quote, JonBenet Ramsey's killer was a white male, relatively young, who had a personal grudge against John Ramsey and intended to carry it out by defiling and robbing him of the most valuable thing in the world to him. He entered the house while the family was out, either through the basement or with one of the many unaccounted for keys to the Ramsey home, carrying with him a stun gun, a roll of duct tape, and a spool of cord. His intention was to incapacitate her, abduct her, and molest her. The ransom demand was an afterthought and could explain why it was written on materials found in the home. He had no intention on collecting such a low sum. He was just trying to make a point and possibly cast suspicion on the Ramses. It's also possible he had already written a shorter and more succinct ransom note, but that given the amount of time he had to himself, wrote a longer one. He went up to Jean Benet's room, incapacitated her with an air taser stun gun, which could not have made much noise, taped her mouth shut, and then took her downstairs. He began strangling her either during or right after the molestation, and whether he meant to or not, caused her death. When he realized what he had done, he finished the job with a quick blow to the head, and instead of taking her, he fled the house in a panic. End quote. Mm-hmm. The end. Not yet. In 2018, DNA technology was used to catch one of the most evasive and infamous serial killers of all time. The Golden State Killer, Joe Mm -hmm. D'Angelo. Okay. And I was like, holy shit, how does he tie in? Because we are going to tie him into this season. TBD on that. It's possible that the DNA, remember, because of the email? Okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You were just like listening. And I was like, remember, we heard from the listener. Okay. It's possible that the DNA contributor in JonBenet's case could be identified using DNA genealogy and this new technology in as little as a few hours. John Ramsey has requested the Boulder PD give this untested DNA to such a lab to be tested, but they refuse. Why? The only thing that he speculates, John Ramsey, is that the two main detectives that were initially on the case are still on the case to this day. Mm -hmm. So there is major animosity between the two. And he gives he, a fuck. I know. Solve the does, case. It's, it's all ego. It's all ego. So this year, in 2022, John Ramsey began working to petition the governor of Colorado to force the department to give these labs access to the untested DNA. In a 60 Minutes interview with John Ramsey, he said, quote, we want to do whatever can be done technically and resource-wise to find the killer of our daughter. And if we do that, but we can't, we'll have to live with that. 
But to not do it is criminal and just negligent and lazy. Mm -hmm. There is a petition on change.org called Justice for JonBenet Ramsey set up by John. And the last I read, about a month ago, Colorado Governor Jared Polis continues to ignore the petition with nearly 25,000 signatures on it. John Ramsey is now looking into taking legal action and said this, quote, there was a case in Florida that I read about a couple years ago and the family did exactly that and were successful. The judge said, okay, you guys aren't calling this a cold case and it's a cold case. Let's turn over the evidence and move on. And that's our next step if we don't see any progress, end quote. So as of right now, he's the dad who lost his daughter and doesn't know how she died Mm -hmm. because this is still his life and he's petitioning court. Like this isn't stuff that he's, I don't know. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. I don't believe the Ramseys fucking did it. I don't believe that nine-year-old Burke did it and then fooled expert investigators as a nine-year-old. Mm -hmm. that uh, he didn't commit a crime. Like, the shit that they got the mainstream media to believe and, like, the entire country to believe is so much more Mm far-fetched than the intruder theory. Yeah. That's it. Mm. That was that. And I'm hoping... I mean, this stuff is, like, the thing I read was literally posted a month ago, the most recent Mm -hmm. update. And I hope hope they don't try to destroy the evidence just to be dicks. Well, that's what I was worried about. I was like, oh, my God, what if the evidence has been contaminated and they don't want people to know that they fucked it up even more? So they're just like biding their time to not have to give it up, Yeah, which would be awful because John and Burke deserve to be like, yeah, they're publicly exonerated. But man, that fucking court of public opinion, dude. Yeah. Can you fucking imagine being a nine year old? Lying in bed, there was an interview with Burke where he said that I stayed up in my bed for hours that day with all those people downstairs because I was scared. Like I was nine. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if my dad was like fighting a bad guy or something. I didn't know what was happening. I just knew everything was really scary and sad and all this. Right. And then you find out your sister was murdered in the house where you were sleeping. Mm -hmm. Then the whole world knows about it after the weekend. Yeah, that's crazy. You can't go anywhere. It's just, I mean, and then all of a sudden people are like, you did it. And then for the rest of your life, that's what you hear. Or like your parents did it. You did it. Your parents did it. People are fucking ruthless. Yeah. Anyway, mm. I'm going to go with the experts on this one. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I agree with you. Yep. We just got to get that DNA tested. There was mm-hmm. unidentified DNA on her and inside of her underwear blood it was it was blood dna because something i read was like oh well touch dna could be from fucking the mishandled police investigation and blah 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 and it was like it was blood in her underwear well shit that's crazy crazy Um, well you know i know that you're trying to do a smooth transition and there isn't one (laughs) i can't i know (laughs) well Next week, we got season four, episode 20, Dominance. We got a serial killer with some sex stuff going on. Shits get crazy. A bunch of kills. They got to bring in a homicide detective. That's all. That's it. Serial killer ones are like my favorite. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know they Mm -hmm. are. Why don't you um, rate and review us? Toss us five stars. You know, email us at svupod at gmail.com. Send us some, send us stuff. Yeah. At P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. And check out our Instagram at svupod and join the Facebook group svupod elite squad. My favorite fucking thing in the whole world. It's really great. Hashtag a little bit loud for all your indie pod needs. And join the Patreon, dude. We got tons of content on there. Check out the little blurb that we posted last week about how we're changing up the Patreon. We're just taking some of what you give us and giving it where we think it should go. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Uh, well, let's fucking chill out, Gabe. Learning and growing and changing and developing and being better people all the time. Right. China mainland. Okay, I'm gonna decline that <laughs> phone call. <laughs> hope it wasn't. Hope it wasn't anything urgent. Just cut all that shit out. Whatever. Start over. <laughs> <laughs> Because if we're negative about how we are, then we're not going to be funny. It's not going to be funny. Right. It's positive affirmations. Gabe, you are the funniest person I know, and I love you, and I love ha doing this with you, and we're having a great time. Tasha, you are the funniest person I know, and I love you, and I forgot the rest, and I'm having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> I do. A thousand times yes. So... <laughs> Tommy, you make all your lease payments early. Oh, God. <laughs> and to our Elite Squad patrons, Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, Marissa M, Elky H, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin, Marin Vanessa, Amy P, Jess M, Summer M, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Emily A, Kate H, U, Yanga, Nicole R, Julia P, Kayla, Allison B, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia N V. N Nicole. I did. You said Nicole. I did not. Nicole did. M. I didn't. Nicole I'm, M. Yes, you did. I didn't. I'm gonna. Nicole M, Acacia V, Daniel W. It's not my problem that your ears aren't working the way they should be. I'm going to get that audio and I'm going to send it to you and I'm going to be correct. You are going to burn in hell for being a bitch. You are going, oing, oing, oing. <laughs> Okay, hold on, where am I? Nicole M, Acacia V. Danielle W, Kelsey D, Jana M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Bear, mm -hmm. Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Laura D, Laura I, Sarah, Emily A, Angela D, Mac Attack, Casey W, Abby W, Alexis J, Lauren T, and Cassandra S. We fucking love you guys. We appreciate you. You're all, you're helping make this possible and supporting us. 